chapter 6 is about, it's about God having a dialogue with his beloved, a dialogue with his people. And many times or sometimes people outside of the church or us, we think that God is kind of distant and we can't have that kind of converse with him. But that's far from the truth. God's desire is that we would have as close as a connection as possible. In fact, he, he prompts us throughout scripture to ask, to, to plead, to contend with him even sometimes. Contend with God? This is what he's going to do in this chapter. How many of you guys saw the contenders last night? I heard that it went five rounds and McGregor won, and you see two men go toe-to-toe, and it was a contention. God has a contention against his people, and instead of doing what I've said before, and I probably should stop saying because you guys get the picture, God does what I wouldn't do. You know, God gives so many chances. He's so merciful. He gives them opportunity to repent. And then he says to them, God, could you imagine this? Hey, let's talk about this. <laughs> I don't need to say anything. I'm God. You just do what I say. But God doesn't like that. He loves us. He wants to to dialogue. He wants that relationship to be real. And this is what happens in chapter 6. Instead of just saying, you guys are wrong, I'm right, I'm God, you're not, you're dumb, I'm smart, which is something else I probably would say. Uh, you are just going to get annihilated, period. No, he says, let's talk about it. You, you tell me what the problem is. And this is the mindset, the mentality that we have going into chapter 6. Verse 1 says, Hear now what the Lord says. This is the prophet Micah speaking to the people. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O mountain, the Lord's complaint, and you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. God says, I'm going to set up a witness, okay? The, 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 the witness for us, the judge for us, or the stand between, let's just say it's going to be the mountains. And they're going to testify against you as I testify against you that what you've been doing is wrong. What, what, what good thing about a mountain is what? It's immovable. It doesn't move. You guys remember uh, the never-ending story? And that big old monster, that big rock monster, and he was so slow. I could just imagine God saying, okay, Israel, and he puts them at the foot of a mountain, and here's this mountain with its head like that, like that thing shaking its head. Oh, man, this isn't going to be good. I went out to Pahrump on Friday to take uh, Eric out to U-turn like we prayed for him on, on stage last Sunday. And as I was coming back, um, we were talking about Pahrump and, and how I had grown up out there and I visited some family while I was there. And when I was coming back into Vegas, um, I remember how I made comments a couple times this week about how, you know, Vegas, I'm just ready for the, the, for the summer to be over. You know, that's what I said with more words. So I'm, I'm, I'm coming back down the mountain and I'm seeing Vegas. You know how you come down where that construction is and you can see Vegas? And it was beautiful. It was, I was like, oh man, God pour out your spirit on our city. And as I was driving down, looking at the city, all of a sudden you pop around that corner and then to the left is those red rock cliffs. 
Those things, pitchers do those things, no justice. And when you stand at the bottom of those mountains, I'm like, God, this is pretty cool to live here because look at these mountains. And God says, yeah, they're going to be my witness against you, not me. (laughs) They've always been there. They've seen the whole thing from the beginning to the end, the whole thing. Now let's, let's ask the mountains what they think. They'll testify of who I am. Plead your case before the mountains. In fact, he's instructing them to actually have dialogue. You tell them what the problem with me that you have is. Could you imagine? I talk to people like that. Sometimes they're non-believers. Sometimes they're Christians that are slidden away or, or not doing well. And they say, when I talk to God, that kind of puts things into perspective, you know? Not only are we all going to talk to God one day, but he says... Let me just put you at the base of this magnificent rock formation. And and you will get some perspective of who you're actually talking to. The God that created this mountain, the God who poured out his love into this world so you could have a right relationship with him. The mountain dwarfs the person. And then you kind of get a, a realization of who you're actually talking to. It's like today, you know, when you, you have a complaint against somebody and, and you say more than you should. Oh, so-and-so did this to me, so-and-so said that to me, and you're telling this other person all of these things, and the other person says, well, why don't you go tell them, which is what the Bible tells us to do. And they say, oh, no, they wouldn't understand, they wouldn't receive it well. And then when they do, this, when they do see that person, it's like they're a completely different person. It's like there's perspective, you know. They realize that there's consequences and that they should deal with each other in a way that is more in an upright manner. God says, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. These are things that God created. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. Now God says, you guys complain to the mountains, tell them what your problem is, and then I'll tell them, I'll tell the mountain what my problem is with you guys. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. The Bible tells us that creation groans. That it groans. Creation itself, this earth, it it is aware and familiar with the fact that it is not in the state that it should be in. And the blood of innocent people shed throughout the generations has soaked into this earth, and the earth mourns over the blood of the innocent. And when God restores the earth and he restores people, it's going to be back to the way that it's supposed to do, it's supposed to be. And these things, these things that are testifying that of God, they've been there through it all. They've been there through getting kicked out of the garden. They've been there through the flood. They've been there through the Tower of Babel. It's a good witness. Like, hey, you've seen the whole story, mountain and foundations. What do you think? Who do you think creation is going to side with? (laughs) And not just because he's God. Because they were a part of the process. The world's been through everything that it's been through because of us. For the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with them. This word contend is to struggle or surmount a difficulty or or, or danger, to overcome. God's saying, let's do this back and forth. He's not just shutting them down. He's saying, you tell me what your issue is. 
And sometimes I don't feel like telling God what my issue is. Have you ever felt like that before? I've even prayed, you know what, God? You know why I'm mad at you, and I'm not even going to talk to you about it right now. He's like, oh, really? Hmm. So you don't think I know what's going on? Oh, I know you know, and I'm just not going to talk to you about it. Really, that is what the essence of relationship is. It's communication. We were made, we were created in God's image to have relationships with each other. One of the worst forms of torture is isolation. Solitary confinement in the black hole or whatever the case may be. And people go crazy, literally. Why? Because we weren't created to be alone. We were created to be with people, to be with each other. And we were created even greater to be with God. In that relational aspect that God desires us to have with him. So it wouldn't be right for God as a just God to say, you messed up and now you're done. Because he created us for something greater than just punishment or consequences. He created us for relationship. Isn't that what we say to people? What makes you different? You know, the Catholic asks me, or the Mormon, or, or the whoever it is. What makes you different than me? I'll say a relationship is what makes me different. That God wants to engage me and talk to me and, and I have access to his throne. See, that's what the cross does for us. It doesn't just allow us to go to heaven for eternity. It gives us access to God the Father. That was the whole purpose of the cross. Verse 3, O oh my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. God's saying to Israel, what are you mad about? Like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum. I don't know what's going on right now. Tell me, testify against me. What did I do to you guys? For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And then he re reminds them of their history. Sometimes I need God to remind me of my history too. I get in my little pity party, a little funky, you know, the little funky bunch. Woo! Marky Mark's there, the whole clan. And we have, we have a pity party. And God's like, dude, do you remember where you were before? Do you remember what I've done in you? Remember what I've done through you? What am I, look around you. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm such a goofball. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. You were in bondage before. Now you're free. Remember when we went through Exodus and we were doing the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt? Man, that was glorious. They were in bondage and God miraculously set them free. And I set before you, I set before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. I put people in your lives that would help you, that would direct you, that could lead you, that would love you. So instead of looking at your life right now and looking at the people that you're having problems with, look at the people who God's given you to bless you. Because God's given you people to pour into you. Look around. Pat the person sitting next to you on the back. Put your arm around them. Say, thank you for loving me. So instead of focusing on the difficult relationships or the difficulty of relationship, focus on the, the blessings of relationship. The part of your testimony where God 
loves you through others. I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Acacia Grove to Gilgal that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Balak and Balaam, a story in the Old Testament that comes up frequently all the way even to Revelation. Again, God's always bringing this up. Why? Because it's a perfect example of the people God chooses to bless and to love and how the world wants to steal that away. What happened? Balak says, Balaam, I want you to come and prophesy over Israel bad things. I want you to curse them. I will give you riches and gold beyond your wildest dreams. Come for me and cast curses over the people of Israel. And what does Balaam say? He says, I can't. These people are sanctified, they're set apart, they're blessed, and I cannot do it. And he keeps up in the ante. If you remember, I'll give you more. I'll give you beyond what you can, your wildest dreams. And he says, okay, I'll try. I'll try to curse them for the money. And he goes out and he gets ready to curse them. And then as soon as he opens his mouth, boom, it's a blessing. And Balak's like, what are you doing? I didn't say to bless them. I said to curse them. Now we're worse off than we were when we started. He says, okay, I'll try again. And he blessed him again. And he blessed him again. And he says, I told you, I can't curse God's people. This is the way it is for us. God doesn't want to curse you. He wants to bless you. In fact, he has and is blessing you. Many times what we experience isn't a curse from God, but something we brought on ourselves. This is what happened with the nation of Israel. Balaam said to Balak, but I do know a way that you can get to them. And what was it? It was idolatry and sexual immorality. He said, take your young girls, give them to the Israelites, go in the camp, have a party, and then they're going to intermingle, and then it'll cause them to fall to sin, and then they will be cursed. That's what he said. And that's what ultimately ended up happening. It was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Get the girls in, get the party going, do whatever you want to do. Show the people that they have liberty in those things. And it wasn't God, listen, it wasn't God cursing his people. It was his people cursing themselves. And this is what happens today, even in the church. It's not God cursing his people. It's us bringing upon ourselves things that God doesn't want for us, but we subject and submit ourselves to. God's heart is to bless, not to curse. He loves you. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Now this is Israel responding in mockery to God. Their hearts are so hardened. It reminds me of the state of the nation of Israel when Jesus came, even riding on the colt of a donkey presenting himself as the Messiah. This is their response to God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high king? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? With, will, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 
If one lamb isn't good, how about thousands of rams, God? Is that what you want me to do? You want me to give you thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil? Do you think that they're, <laughs> it's getting a little extreme. 10,000 rivers of oil? Is that going to satisfy you, God? And I've talked to people who have the same tone. What do you want from me, God? Why are you cursing me? Why aren't you taking and blessing me? I want your blessings. And God says, why are you cursing yourself? You placed yourself in this position. You're the one that's submitting yourself in sin to these things. Oh, what do you want from me? You want 10,000 rivers of oil? That's a lot of oil. Even in today's market, that would be a lot of money. 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I give you my firstborn for my transgression? Oh, now it's personal. Shall we give you our children? Like that's what God wants. Shame on you, Israel. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. See, it's not enough to realize that you're a sinner. That's easy. I think we could all agree. It's not enough to realize you're a sinner. What's more is that you're willing to submit and surrender to the Savior. That's what it takes. And if there's no repentance in a Christian heart, then a life is doomed to fail and not change. If there's no repentance, repentance is the key to the gospel to get that access to God that he desires, that he wants us to have. And as they respond in mockery to God, what do you want from us? You, you know, you take our, even take our own kids. This is God's response. Listen, this is one of the most beautiful verses in the Old Testament. You guys should put it on the, the wall in your house. It's one of those Christian Bible bookstore verses, you know? But don't buy it from them. Just print it yourself. It's a lot cheaper. Verse 8, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What are you going to do? You want 10,000 rivers? You want rams and thousands of rams? You want our firstborn? He has shown you, O oh man, what is good. Don't act like you don't know. Israel, I'm not delighting in the sacrifices you give me. I don't want to take your kids away. You know better. Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? If that doesn't give you the chills, I don't know what will. These are the three things that they needed to be, have addressed personally in this time, and it still applies to us today. To walk justly, for a people that we saw in chapters 2 and 3 that would, that would treat those underneath them terribly, that were stealing the widow's farm. Her husband goes off to war, dies in battle, and they're stealing her possessions. They're stealing her inheritance. There's no justice. And God says, you know what I want from you. I want you to be just. And God wants us to be just also. Listen, you guys are going to have difficulty in this world. You will have tribulation. But just remember that we are not to respond to the things we go through in this world the same way that those in this world respond. We are not to respond the same way. 
We are holy. We are sanctified. We are different. And when somebody says, you know, as a Christian, well, he did this to me, and I did that to me, and I'm going to give it to him because that's what he deserves. Well, you know, you don't know what mercy is, do you? Paul talking to the Corinthians, and he says, listen, you guys are taking each other to court? That's not just. Don't you think you guys can settle these things between each other? Don't you think that you can take these matters to the, to the church itself and have them help you through it? No, this is what the world does, and I'm going to get my money back. No. No. Do justly. Love justice. Oh, oh, in the next, it, it is not to be merciful. It's not to be merciful. What does it say? Say it out loud, loudly. Love mercy. Love mercy. <coughs> not just to have mercy, to love mercy. There was a certain time in my walk with the Lord that um, I really started to understand what mercy was. And I was the kind of guy before that if somebody wronged me and I had the opportunity, it's <laughs> just how I was. You know, like, you know, no, no, you brought this on yourself. Mercy, I don't know what mercy, I don't care. Listen, I'm in charge now. That was bad. It was bad, you know. But then once I started to understand, like, the, 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 the level of mercy that God has had with me, do you know what mercy is? Grace and mercy are very closely related. Grace is receiving something that you don't deserve. It's just grace, right? You, you, you get pulled over, you were speeding, you were not doing the right thing, and the cop says, you know what, I just want to, I'm just going to let you go with a warning. I'm not even going to put you in the system. That's just grace. He has no reason to do that. But it's also mercy, and mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. And that's what makes mercy so valuable in God's economy. You know why? Because I know what I deserve, and it's not God's grace. God's grace, uh, the grace of God focuses on the blessings, the promises of God. The mercy focuses on what I should be getting that I'm not and he says, what I want for you as a people to understand, and you know better, is to be just and love mercy. Love overlooking things that the world would say they can contend with you about. Look forward to being in an opportunity or a position to uh, administer mercy to somebody instead of vengeance or judgment. Because in a corrupt society, this is what happens. And you can see it if you look around. Like, don't watch the news. But, like, if you see what happens in a corrupt society, when there's no mercy, everybody's pointing their finger at each other. And the only time anybody's ever okay is when they have some vested interest or there's some benefit that they're getting. And then as soon as, you know, it was, it was crazy. I don't want to... I don't want to get into it, right? But did you guys see, like, the preliminaries with the election? These people were up on stage like, he's a pig and he's a, yeah, and they were going at it, like, letting the words fly. And then as soon as the, the everything was over and, and they're like, oh, I, I endorse that person. Wait a minute. Well, this was like a couple weeks ago that you were calling them dirty names on a stage in a microphone. 
and now there's nobody better to be president? I don't know. It's corruption. I'm sorry. That's just what it is. It's corruption. And they don't have mercy with each other for mercy's sake. They have mercy for benefit, for self-benefit's sake. And it's not okay. God wants to have mercy. He wants us as the church to love mercy for somebody else's sake. Isn't that what mercy is? You say, when everybody else would have done this in that situation, I was at fault, everybody else would have did this, but that Christian did that. That Christian did the opposite of what I would have done. And to walk humbly with your God. Oh, man. <laughs> Humility. Here we have, just imagine this little person. God puts him at the base of a mountain and says, okay, now you testify against the mountain what bad things I've done to you. And then somehow, some people can get themselves worked up to where they're somebody and somebody did something wrong to them. And in this case, it was God and it's not okay. And you, you're going to hear me out on this. And God says, I don't, I don't really, <laughs> I don't know who you think you are. This is the kind of people that I've instructed, that I want to teach, that I want to learn. I've instructed those who, who would be just, who would love mercy, and who would walk humbly with me. And again, it's all in the wording. There's not one jot or tittle that's going to fall from the law. It's all in this wording. And walk humbly with your God. There's intimacy and relationship with God throughout the entire Bible. It would have been so easy for that to be translated to walk humbly with the Most High God and God exalting himself over the people. But instead, he brings himself down to their level and he says, you're, I'm your God and I, I, my desire is to walk with you and I want us to walk together. And I want you to be humble. Always be humble and kind. You guys like that one? Think about it. I'm not going to sing it. And when we start to exalt ourselves, when we start to puff ourselves up, the humility's out the window, the mercy's out the window, and then the justice is out the window. We don't do things that are right anymore. We do what's right in our own eyes. The Lord's voice cries to the city. Wisdom shall see your name. Hear the rod who has appointed it. You know what a rod is used for, right? It's used for discipline. And God's response to the nation of Israel isn't feel the rod. He says, hear the rod. Because the rod speaks of something, doesn't it? The rod speaks of a righteous God doing what's right in a disciplinarian situation. And he says, hear the rod. Who has appointed it? Eh, eh, me. Like dad said to you when you were growing up, go get the belt. <laughs> you can hear that puppy whistling through. And then you jump at the last minute and get your legs. Don't jump. Hear the belt. Hear the rod. Who has appointed it? Are there, yet the treasures of, are there yet the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the short measure that is an abomination? Shall I count pure those with the wicked scales and with the bag of deceitful weights? God doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked. 
We saw that in, in many different scenarios throughout the Bible. And God says, if there's riches still stored up, ill-gotten gain that you have partaken in, you think I'm just going to let that all go and not be accounted for? No, it's going to be accounted for. For her rich men are full of violence, her inhabitants have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will also make you sick by striking you, by making you desolate because of your sins, you shall eat but not be satisfied. Hunger shall be in your midst. You, sh you may carry some away, but shall not save them. And what you do rescue, I will give over to the sword. Oh, dude, this is chapter six, you guys. God has already like been pleading with them and loving them, giving them an opportunity to voice their complaint. And he's still saying, in light of everything, I'm still going to judge you because what you've been doing is wrong. And at this point in the Bible, listen, I am 110% positively sure, I'd write it right next down to it, that if they repented at this point after all these things, God would have mercy. But that's not how it goes. See, when a heart gets hardened, there's no repentance that's there to be had. And they, they sink down and get harder and harder. But God, in his great love and mercy towards us, up until the last possible moment, he gives us opportunity to repent. Now, I'm not saying that we won't get consequences for our sins because we will. This is different. Consequences of sin and the judgment of God are two totally different things that people very frequently get confused in Scripture. They're separate. And the judgment of God is, is to be mitigated by our own repentance. You shall sow but not reap, verse 15. You shall tread the olives but not anoint yourselves with oil and make sweet wine but not drink the wine. This is the exact opposite of what they had done to other people, right? They had gone into orchards and stolen what they had not planted or cultivated. They had kicked out widows from their house that they didn't themselves build. And now God says, your punishment is going to be all the hard work that you've put into the land for yourself, all those blessings and benefits, I'm taking away from you. You're not going to receive them. So yeah, you may go out, yeah, you may sweat, and, and you may uh, look forward to treading the olives and, and anointing yourselves with the, the oil, and, and you may think about making that sweet wine and having it touch your lips because that whole process, you know, there was serious satisfaction in seeing a, a project completed. But since they were swooping in and reaping the benefits from somebody else's hard work, God is now saying, now you're not going to get to enjoy your labors. For the statutes of Omri are kept and the works of Ahab's house are done and you walk in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. Therefore, you shall bear the reproach of my people. The statues of Omri and the works of Ahab. Ahab was one of the worst, if not the worst king in Israel's history. The worst king ever handing uh, themselves over uh, to idolatry and fornication and 
All of these things they did freely under Ahab's instructions and rule. And this is what God says. All the works of Ahab's house are done. You guys want to walk in this kind of counsel, Ahab's counsel? It's it's no longer going to happen. I'm bringing it to completion. You're no longer doing it. I'm stopping you now. I'm going to make you a desolation and inhabitants hissing. Now remember, as we finish this chapter, that we just, we just went through the last couple previous weeks. We just went through chapters 5 and 6 that were all about the glory of God's promises to the nation of Israel and to us. So, like, uh, I didn't write it down, but chapter 4 is 13 verses. Chapter 5 is... 15 verses so we have almost 30 verses of of the good promises and plan that god has for the nation of israel and then he reminds them again of what's coming in another 16 verses he's contending with them and saying it's not going to change anything but you have you have the opportunity to see the things that i want to give you and how i want to bless you and still at this point There's no repentance on the side of Israel. In fact, we saw that they were still mad at God and shaking their fist. I don't know what you're going through right now in life. I just want to help. You guys know that I love all of you. And I would do anything if you call me at any time of the day to do what I could to help you. God loves you. And if you're one of these people who have started to harden your heart because life isn't going the way that you want it to, and you find yourself dialoguing with God in the tone that the nation of Israel was dialoguing with God because he wants to hear from you, but if you find yourself thinking thoughts or saying things in your heart toward God that ought not be said, what I would highly recommend is that you humble yourself and repent for the things that you've done. Otherwise, God isn't going to curse you. That's not what he wants. You're just going to invoke a curse on yourself. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You're not going to find fulfillment in his purposes for your life. You're not going to be able to walk in your calling. You're not going to be able to exercise your gifts. This is legitimate warning. And the same measure of mercy and love and understanding that God has with the nation of Israel, he has for us. He has for us. And it just needs to get to that point in our own hearts individually. I've seen whole churches that this, this mindset has, been, has permeated into them that we saw how the nation of Israel was. They still function, they still get together, but there's a bitterness God's not blessing us. We're not growing. He's not doing these things that we want. It's true. We need to be sensitive and say to God, Lord, you are God. I am not. How can I treat these situations justly? Because you are just and you want me to be just. How can I love in in mercy? How can I love mercy and love being merciful to others? And how can you help me walk humbly with you? Because I want to walk with you. The problem is for us that we reach a point in our relationship with God where sometimes if things aren't going the way that we think they should or we want them to, there starts to become a separation. And then all of a sudden, you're walking by yourself or in the counsel of the ungodly. And that's not what God's desire is for us. 
His desire is a fellowship with him and fellowship with each other that we have, we have in our church that's blessed. Amen? Let's pray. God, we want to take seriously every word in the Bible, your word. We want to take seriously the promises. We want to take seriously the blessings. We want to apply them. We want to receive them. We know that you want to bless us and you don't desire or want to curse us. But we also want to take the warning seriously, God. We want to receive the blessings and ask you to lead us in righteousness for your namesake. We also want to make sure that we're being introspective and inspecting our heart in regards to how we're responding to the things that you have us go through. We trust you, Lord. The place that we're in right now is better than the best we could think of ourselves a million times. There's more fulfillment, joy, understanding, compassion, and love in being in your will than ever apart from it. You are light. Illuminate those things, God, in our hearts as individuals and as a church so that you can be further magnified and glorified in our lives individually and corporately through our church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.